Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello! And welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of AEW Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, AEW's premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review the rampage baby. I said, uh, I said to Hamlet on the SmackDown review, it feels like that meme, you know, the the trade offer thing. Where yeah. It's like good news. Uh, Wilborn can't play any of his stupid sound effects, and we just concentrate on reviewing the wrestling. Bad news. Um, you and I have to have flashbacks to the pandemic mid 2020 because i'm stuck at home just a precaution just for anyone concerned um i was in contact with someone who's who's uh, tested positive for covid and it's still a thing everyone so stay safe out there and uh yeah it's uh it's not ideal this especially because there's also building work going on at what culture so if you hear some weird drilling noise or whatever it's just uh them rebuilding what culture offices on sidges and how are you mate uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm just, uh, don't like things like this. I'm like no. expecting like a drill, an ear piercing drill. I mean, I should be used to this because I podcast with you multiple times a week. <laughs> but ultimately, this is one that actually will affect my ability to talk. So, yeah, hopefully it doesn't happen. But, you know, them's the breaks. Fantastic. Fantastic. One of the phrases of the weekend, along with. Well, we can't, I'm not going to say the other one. Uh, well, uh, suck the tits or whatever. <laughs> Lick the tit or whatever. It's the best, right? For those uninitiated, right? I don't even watch Love Island, but it's like a romp-based UK reality show where you get like conventionally attractive um, Instagram influencers, influencers, I think, or basically yeah. people who've got enough of a following to get on this show and they basically shag each other and fall out and cheat on each other and all the rest of it and in my i inferred from the context of the clip willborn uh that someone a couple were kind of reunited who'd had a thing and then they'd gone their separate ways and one of the lads had done something with a girl and he was trying to fess up to this other girl he previously had a thing with and i just love 
the, the confession, the, the one-two punch of, yeah, you know, I just want, want to hear from me that uh, I sucked the tits or whatever. And then she went, what? Licked the tit or whatever. <laughs> I love how it's gone from sucking both tits, right, that the girls kind of got a problem with. So to soften the blow, he lies and just says he licks one tit. <laughs> lick the tit or whatever. Just love that. Pops one out of the cup of the bra. Eh? And that was it. I just looked at it or whatever. <laughs> These idiots, man, are such good value. Yeah, it's it's one of the best shows on television, in my opinion. Um, which is a low bar when you consider the amount of WWE that I watch. But anyway, we're here to talk about AEW uh, and AEW Rampage, baby. And what an opener this was, Sige. Uh, let's just dive straight into it. It was Eddie Kingston versus Kanosuke Takeshita. That's right. I've been practicing over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He You're deserves right. it. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of this year. I, you know, I, I love the way that this show just introduces me. I'm not one of the people who goes, well, don't know who this is. So they're the worst wrestler ever. I like the fact that it introduced, it introduced me. Like I said before. I've always on had on my to-do list because of, of the raves that you and, and Hamlet and Murray and stuff give so many New Japan wrestlers. Always had on my to-do list. I should watch more of that rather than just, oh, you know, DDT. Omega Ricardo. But like Shingo and, and you know, some of the other amazing Tanahashi, all the amazing talents that has been showcased through this connection with New Japan. But I think arguably out of all of them, I think Takeshita might be my new favourite because I thought he was he was a revelation in this match. Um Great to see the the stuff afterwards as well. Obviously, Kingston put him over in his promo later, which we will get to. Uh, but you saw a lovely shot of them, no doubt, doing the rounds on social media over the weekend post-match. Um, and they just worked so well and so snug and believably in this match. So, obviously, you know, I think we even said going into this, obviously, Kingston gets the win here because it's Kingston. He's still in the midst of this feud with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Chris Jericho, again, we'll follow up on that a little bit later. But honestly, when Takeshita hit that brain buster, I was like, oh, I guess Takeshita's winning then. Yeah. I'll run you through the match, then we'll get your thoughts on everything. Early on, Takeshita uh, frustrates Kingston, uh, and he just sells it brilliantly. You know, he's 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 getting his stuff in, but also this young git's not, you know, it's not going the way I planned to, to bat this, this young lad. Um, and then he... Uh, there's that bit where they're separating on the ropes. Takeshi just does a little, does a little shot at him. And Kingston's like, oh, okay, we're doing it like that, are we? Um, Takeshi catches, oh, sorry, Kingston catches Takeshi with a, with a knee coming off the ropes as a result of that. Hits a gut wrench suplex. He pulls the straps down. There's chops getting exchanged. Uh, there's a nice thump to the eye by Eddie Kingston. And then those machine gun chops in the corner and a headbutt. He's getting rough with him now. This has gone from a respected, respectable gentleman's contest to, no, as, as I said in the preview, he doesn't dislike Takeshita. He just wants to kick everyone's ass. He's just angry right now. Um, but Takeshita fires back, hits a flying lariat, hits another one out the corner. Blue Thunderbomb gets him a two count. We go to break. When we come back, uh, they're fighting on the apron. Takeshita hits a German suplex on Eddie Kingston on the apron, which looked great, and holds on as they go to the floor. Goes for another one, but Kingston uh, grabs onto the ring apron, uh, the ring skirt, sorry, prevents that from happening and gets out of it. Hits an exploder suplex on the floor and they both just have to dive in to, to beat Rick Knox's 10 count. Um, they exchange shots in the ring. Kingston gets a Liger bomb for a near fall. But then Takeshita, as I said, blocks the spinning back fist, the Uranagi. Um, uh, not the Uranagi, what's the... What's the 
what the hell is it called? You've got Unagi in my head now. Yeah, I've, I've messed myself up here. Regardless, the spinning back fist that he hits, um, and Takeshita blocks that and gets a brilliant brain buster uh, for a two count. They exchange forearms, palm strikes. They're just kneeling in the ring, just hitting each other as hard as they can, battling up to their feet. Kingston hits a half and half suplex, but Takeshita no sells that, fires back with a lariat, more back and forth, just twatting each other as hard as you can. Uh, Kingston then hits Takeshita with two spinning back fists. Falls on, falls, that's it. Falls on top of him uh, and gets the one, two, three. What an opener. Yes, it's absolutely fantastic. Like Absolutely fantastic. And I've kind of got no idea how they've managed to accomplish this. Um, but one brief note, it's great to see Takeshita in the high-profile spot. Obviously, in addition to the New Japan stuff, um, he's coming from DDT. Um, Yuka Sakazaki comes from TJP, uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. Um, more connections would be lovely. Um, I know AEW has um, drawn criticism by me as well for debuting too many acts, but this is a better way of doing it, like an excursion, rotation, sort of temporary basis. Like I'm all for it. It just adds um, different flavor to the cards. Um, it doesn't sort of lock you into having to push someone when there's not much of a narrative opportunity for them to get pushed. I'm talking Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee, um, who just felt like two signings too many. But regardless, someone like Takeshita is perfect because he can just lose and lose and lose and fans still go absolutely crazy for his incredible matches. So, yes, I'm a big fan of this partnership and this excursion in general. But the match itself, like um, Excalibur even said that they were mirroring um, Misawa and Kawada early. Um, with the sort of the mat exchanges, but that was kind of the story of this match. And I've kind of got no earthly idea how they pulled it off so convincingly without sort of compromising um, what was um, what the inspiration behind it was. Because there were certain devices like the no selling, like apron bound suplexes, a uh, suplexes to the outside, like the, the strong style exchanges and the fire up spots. It was a very Japanese main event influenced match, and yet it was sort of blended with the american style tv opener which is kind of like all action and doesn't have a long drawn out build uh, because you don't have the luxury of time um so it was very compact and you'd think that this would sort of compromise the selling and the idea that they were sort of kicking out of these big bombs but the fact that they exploded with the no selling um so brilliantly and with such personality that it kind of excused the fact that these matches tend to and be elevated by the selling and the drawn out story bill, but they somehow fused those two genres together. Mm. And I think it was just an absolutely massive achievement on that basis. And the execution of some of the moves were disgusting in a beautiful, violent sort of way. <laughs> but like, as he said, that brain buster was the execution of it was so ungodly that I generally thought, all right, that has to be it. Like I bought that near fall, even though I had a very, very good idea of who was going to win and who indeed had to win, looking at the grander uh, broken. Uh, pattern and direction. Um, and all this is just absolutely tremendous stuff. Um, I just love the idea of Eddie Kingston just telling these great, great in-ring stories with his face, with his body language. They even have like the big count-out spot as well, which is usually um, inserted deep into the throes of the drama. They got away with kind of doing that on a TV match, even though it felt like the TV, the big count-out spot in sort of Old Japan and New Japan more recently like the, the heyday of all Japan works because these men are so battle fatigued 
that you think that they can't possibly make it back into the ring because they've just done so much over the last two minutes and sprawled outside that the drama is, can they even get back in? It works mm. every single time. This had no right to work as it did in the context of the American TV opener, but just the, the magic with which they struck it, structured this match just made it work. But yeah, Kingston's body language just, even though it's not an overt grapple th- or like really ground-based wrestling match, which is kind of the only way that you can ever make it feel remotely quote-unquote realistic. They were still doing no self-fire off spots and these crazed suplexes. It's definitely very much a choreographed performance, but it's just the way that Kingston obscures it with his emotion, with his body language. He makes something feel like a fight, even though some of the moves and the way in which the sequences are arranged in your head, you know, that's not how people fight in real life. It just isn't. Wrestling's 99.8% of the time never looked realistic ever. But it's his way of performing and conveying emotion that just makes it feel like a fight. Um, no, this is absolutely incredible stuff. Um, better than generally. Like, AEW tends to do, like, a four-star range match every single week. Mm. Uh, to be honest, it can be easy to get spoiled by it but this i would put as a level above the weekly aew banger if you like just the way that they structured this and um managed to fuse two genres and got the best out of both of them almost this was just an incredible bit of work yeah it's very rare that i think i say this watching rampage but if you haven't go out of your way to watch this match in its entirety because i thought it was a really really enjoyable watch um whilst we're on the topic of heaping praise on Eddie Kingston. Let's talk about the promo of his that came later on in the show. He's got a promo backstage post-match, you know, praised Takeshita and then turned his attention to Chris Jericho, the Jericho Appreciation Society. He's still pissed off. He still wants to get his hands on him um, and he wants Chris Jericho's blood and the whole, you know, you made me a liar. I didn't make you bleed at the, the blood and guts and what have you. Um, and so... He is challenging Chris Jericho to a barbed wire death match. Not only that, it's a barbed wire death match with a shark cage. Uh, I believe the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society are going to be in that shark cage whilst these two go at it, surrounded by barbed wire. Um, This line, every drop of blood is a sin that you've committed, Chris. And that last drop of blood before you pass out, that's for my ruby. Oh, Told you, didn't I, Wilborn, that Eddie Kingston is going to cut a promo so great mentioning Ruby that it's going to just about excuse mm. um, the lack of finesse and uh, the lack of real detailed care and attention to that sort of angle that was really piss poor, frankly, on Dynamite. I knew he would do it, and I believed every single word he said to the point where I, I'm happy to forget that he didn't rush out immediately because the format didn't ask him to, therefore mm. all felt a little bit fake. His delivery here was, yet again, so quintessentially Eddie Kingston, so real that he can take it seriously all over again because that's how phenomenal he is. He didn't shout. He didn't do any blustering. He didn't, like, rant and rave. He's just, he scaled it back, and it just felt more sinister and believable as a result. Um, yeah, I'll preview what I think of the match. I just wish the word exploding was in front of it. Because if, they, <laughs> if they'd done a barbed wire death match without having previous of doing an exploding one, no yeah. matter how rotten the finish was, um, that would be easy to get into. But you've seen the very best version of that stiff to sort of go back to, uh, I don't know, I want to see sparks fly. I just, I'm greedy, but it should still be incredible. And I will tell you why with any luck on the preview. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, so after the uh, Kingston Sikesta match, we got a couple of vignettes. One for, for Hook, all the people he's just chucked around like an empty tracksuit in the words of Adam Nicholas. And the fact that we never really hear from him, uh, we didn't again hear. And before that, it was a promo cut by Athena and Chris Statlander basically saying, Joey Cargill's a coward who's afraid to defend her TBS championship. And then we got the Ring of Honor world champion, Jonathan Gresham, tagging with Lee Moriarty against the Gates of Agony, two-thirds of uh, Tully Blanchard Enterprises, Toa Leona and Khan. Uh, and I really liked, yet again, Caprice Coleman doing commentary for this match. I've fallen in love with him as well. Um Gates of Agony dominate early on. They cut off Moriarty. They make sure he can't get over to his partner. Uh, he got some, uh, Khan gets a near fall after a nice slingshot sent on. They're doing all the heel stuff. They're choking him in the ropes when the referee's not looking. They're getting in cheap shots, etc. cetera. Uh, Moriarty finally breaks free, though, and he looks like he's going to get to his corner and tag in Jonathan Gresham. But just as he gets there, Sige, Gresham gets distracted by Tully Blanchard and, and walks along the apron, and suddenly he's not there to make the tag for uh, Moriarty. And so he has to go back and fight these two giants. Uh, there's a Samoan drop from uh, Leona. Um, and then he puts him in a chin lock to take us to break. When we come back, finally, Moriarty breaks free of the gates of agony, uh, gets to the corner, is about to make the tag. And Gresham pulls his hand away, jumps down from the apron, walks away. Lee Moriarty can't believe what he's seeing. He still wants to try and win the match, though. He fights back against both Gates of Agony, but once again, the numbers game uh, catches up to him. In the midst of all this, Tully Blanchard and Jonathan Gresham hug on the ramp. Uh, Khan hits a huge discus lariat that turns Moriarty inside out. And then I think it's called a juice box, I've read online, from uh, Leona. Gets the one, two, three. Jonathan Gresham turning heel, um, to lead to well, we'll get to what it leads to in, in due course. What do you think of the match, first of all, Sige? Uh, not a great deal, and I can't decide whether I like this or not. Um, ultimately, I rewound 
uh, to the start of the match, and they barely touch Gresham, who kind of takes his own bump. That initially scanned is, oh, that wasn't the cleanest thing you'll ever see, but it had a purpose. There was a nice bit of thought that went there because the worst thing, one of the worst things, I should say, there's loads of worst things about wrestling, half of it's rubbish. But one of the worst things is when they tell this kind of story and it's um, kind of synonymous now with the Aces of Eights where someone gets their ass kicked over and over and over and over and over again to reveal themselves as the mole. Mm. That's how you just got your ass kicked. Pointless. I took my licks. Yeah, I took my licks, goddammit, just to prove to you I'm the man. Um, <laughs> so that didn't happen here. And in fact, they worked a nice little sort of weak-looking spot that sort of obscured um the, the the turn in the middle of the match um ultimately it was a decent way of doing something a bit poor if i'm honest i don't really like that device and um, it's one of those that wrestling keeps going back to it but i, I don't know why it just makes someone at least look like an idiot um and gresham's promo game and his sort of acting backstage with blanchard is just doesn't have that tv star charisma mm. presence like ability to appear like someone who is a member of the cast. He's an absolutely phenomenal technical wrestler mm. who straight laced indie that doesn't require these sort of storylines. Um, there's obviously storylines in independent wrestling. I'm not one of these idiots, but you know, it's not particularly TV friendly. His sort of essence, his quality. I don't know. There's just something about, it. I can't really take him seriously performing in accordance with an episodic TV storyline. I just don't think he's that kind of performer. So I didn't really buy his backstage interview with Tully Blanchard. Um, so I will reserve judgment on the Gresham led gates of agony, but it just feels like a TV trope kind of clumsily welded onto AEW that uh, I'm not really into it. Like it just feels like a, a disturbance. Yeah, I do. I am excited to see the visual of like Tully Blanchard stood there with the Ring of Honor World Champion and three of the biggest bastards you've ever seen stood behind them. Tully and Khan and Brian Cage, let's not forget. And just a word on that because it came a little bit later, but we'll talk about it now. Uh, the, the Jonathan Gresham, Tully Blanchard thing. I, I completely get where you're coming from there. But I will say, we always hark on about the fact of give your heels an element of justification. So it's not just completely like, oh, why on earth has he turned heel on, on Moriarty and stuff? And, and the justifications for that is is what it is. But him saying, yeah, of course I align myself with, with Tully Blanchard Enterprises because no one's gave me a call. I've been sat in a, you know, sat at home since March. Uh, and then he, of course, announced that he's going to fight Moriarty for the world title on next week's Rampage 2. Yeah, I get it. I get his character's motivation, but it's not very good booking or promotion if your world champion of Ring of Honor has considerably less TV time than your TV champion, mm. Samoa Joe. And it just kind of, it's an indictment on Tony Khan's booking and his priorities, and it just paints Ring of Honor as the afterthought that it is. If the world champion's coming out and saying, I'm an afterthought, and he's literally embodying and carrying the promotion as its flagship champion, then by extension, Ring of Honor's an afterthought. That doesn't help the feeling, mm. the important feeling that it is an afterthought. You got to think all of this is a bit of a convoluted misfire, if I'm being perfectly honest, and it didn't do much for me mm. at all. I will say that I don't think it's by accident that Gresham, who is an incredibly diminutive fellow, has uh, like just these ridiculous lunkheads mm. behind him. I think the idea is, yes, I might be small. That sort of, I think they call it on TV, um, hanging a lantern on it, where they 
the TV writers just outwardly say, right, this device is kind of ridiculous, but go with it. Mm. Go with it. We're, we're acknowledging it, so we're asking you to go with it because it kind of creates a sort of trust in the process. So I think the hang the lantern on the idea that Gresham is short, there's no getting around of it. But if he's the head of this beastly stable, how talented must he be to be mm. considered like the sort of the head of it, no matter his size? So I think that's all very much deliberate. So I do appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I hate in any promotion the idea of, oh, Booker doesn't care about me. And it's like, well, yeah, they don't actually, now that you mentioned <laughs> Why should I? It's just the men of the year do it. I just can't be getting away with it at all. I don't know why. When I watched WWF Coliseum Silver Vision video in the early 90s and the late 80s, I never got the semblance that this organization was um, bad. Mm. I don't know why you would ever say, oh, you know, this thing, it's kind of bad. This is why it's bad. <laughs> Why would you? I just hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's one of my biggest pro wrestling pet peeves. Um, and tag team partners turning on each other was so nice that they did it twice. They did it again. Back to back here. Baffling. Um, Serena Deeb and Mercedes Martinez are this weird tag team, as we've talked about before, who don't really like each other. Are destined and now are. Uh, gonna gonna fight at the pay per view for the uh, women's world title that, that Mercedes holds. Um, so yeah, in in the match they were facing two jobbers basically, and they dominated them. Uh, it was basically a can you top this from each of them, and neither of them tagged each other, and they always just took took an opportunity when one of them was stood near them or bouncing off the ropes or whatever. Right, piss off out the ring, my turn now. Uh, Martinez hangs Marie up in the ropes with a suplex. Deeb gets herself in, puts the uh, serenity lock eventually on uh, Christina Marie uh, and gets the submission victory. Post-match, they stand there. They're sort of, you know, throwing daggers at each other with their eyes. And Deeb, out of nowhere, clotheslines Martinez, beats her down, puts her in a serenity lock, gets her to tap out. So they're going to face each other at the pape. I just thought was baffled by the fact they did this immediately after the uh, Gates of Agony match. Yeah, this is worrying that they've, they haven't got enough ideas and they've got too many talents and in fact too many promotions tony khan at this point so you just get this diluted contrivance this was brutally brutally contrived i've hated it this entire time it's not just the threat of potential women's tag team titles which they deserve another platform because they don't get enough in aw but you know not that it's not the time it's not the time um this match this tag team match and indeed every other tag team match they've had is pointless there's been no reason for these matches to happen i understand that they do this kind of weird kind of bizarre inscrutable mathematics where they can incorporate tag team success into the rankings and all the rest of it like oh yeah, yeah well, this person's record they have trios singles and tags um, separate records and they are sort of formulated to create an overall record so i understand that this could go he could justify the existence of these tag team matches well it starts if they don't count it still adds to the overall records mm. of Mercedes martinez and thunder rosa does roh have a ranking system i don't know like mm. at this point that's confusing and they kind of take the piss of the ranking system. And unfortunately, they have for some time. When it works, they've done it fabulously, but they do take the piss with like the dark stuff and how they arrive at who's really getting the wins and the FT. It's just a total the FTR stuff. It's just kind of a piss take. These matches 
have only ever existed. Serena Deeb and Mercedes Martinez versus Jobbers. They've only ever existed for this angle to take place and inform their match of death before dishonor. It's a completely brutally contrived way of one building a match with matches that are ultimately completely pointless. And two, because they are squashes, just getting you to open women's match on TV. Where's Chris Statlander been for the last month? It's a yeah. total and utter joke how she's not been wrestling every other week. I understand that that will bring her closer to a title. Give her one then. She's that good. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous how little Chris Statlander's been getting on TV. Uh, and then it was time for the main event, uh, back and forth, you know, uh, face-to-face videos beforehand uh, with the chat with Mark Henry, uh, reminding everyone about the fact that, that if Cassidy loses this match, Tony Nese wins, he's going to have to sign this petition to to get Swerve Strickland kicked off the roster. And there's some comedy with, with Danhausen coming in and doing objections and putting a tie on and Orange Cassidy doing the whole, I don't care gimmick um you rolled your eyes as i was talking about that that just danhausen is literally a pollutant wow yeah well, yes, i understand people think his shtick's funny and just because i don't doesn't mean i don't recognize the value and the fact that he's clearly over he shifts loads of merch that's ultimately all that matters whether you like it or not but if you look at everything virtually that he's done in this promotion he's a pollutant who gets people under and he's not a benefit to anything. Mm. And I don't think he exists um, in this world. And I know that people have said the same thing about Orange Cassidy, and it was bollocks. But ultimately, any act can work if it works. This Danhausen mm. act is not working. Um, his association with Hook cooled Hook off considerably to the point where they're now kind of doing a soft like reboot project, if yeah. you like, uh, producing video packages of, remember Hook and what he's good at. We're going to remind you because just forget that meme stuff with Danhausen. Second, it becomes like physically in the orbit of Cassidy. Cassidy feels like a completely different wrestler than he did next to Will Ospreay. And in fact, the second Danhausen pisses off, he gets this great match with Tony Nese. Mm. Second Danhausen out the picture, like people get over. It's really becoming quite staggering at this point. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of time. Oh, then we got real. Oh, look, I've got the buttons. I'm really yeah. sad. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of time they gave to this match. Because like you say, it's just like, oh, yeah, cool. So Orange Cassidy's going to beat Tony Nese. We all know where this is going. But Tony Nese in this match just reminded me like, oh, that's why I love Tony Nese. Um, and why I thought, you know, he, he can definitely be, he can do a job in uh, in in AEW or wherever he is. Because he was great, you know, when you get a chance to see him. Those abs. Um, so early on... Um, you know, it's it's Cassidy frustrating him the hands in the pocket shtick, and uh, Nice does. He's he's great at just being a frustrated heel. Like he goes for a couple of leg drops, um, and and Cassidy just slowly rolls out the way of both of them, and then kicks him with a shotgun drop kick, and and he's pissed off. So just as the crowd are getting behind Cassidy, running around with his hands in his pockets, Nice just nails him with his back elbow, um, but Cassidy comes back. Uh, Flying Mare ties him up with a crucifix, gets a near fall off the back of that, but Nice fires straight back. Feynman's carry Gutbuster gets a two count, uh, and uh, that makes Cassidy have to roll out to the floor where uh, Sterling puts some boots into him. Danhausen has to chase him off. We go to a break. When we come back, 
Um, Cassidy keeps going for this spinning DDT, but Nice is showcasing his amazing strength. He just top, stops the move halfway through the rotation, which is mind-boggling when you actually think about it. Reverses it into a Northern Light suplex. Um, gets a two-count off that. Um, nice punches him down in the corner, puts him up on the top turnbuckle. Um, then there's a bit of a thing with uh, Nice and Danhausen on the floor. That allows Cassidy to come back. He hits that stun dog millionaire of his. Mishinoku Dreyfer gets him a near fall. Nice goes for the pump handle slam, but Cassidy counts it with a spinning DDT, hits another one, and ends up comes off the top with a diving DDT for a great near fall. Uh, Sterling gets up on the apron to sort of jaw jack with Orange Cassidy, who hits him with those unique kicks of his, to which Sterling sells it, quite like uh, someone who does sort of... Uh, if you if you're you know if, you, if someone's to blame you've got a claim sort of reaction to it all that distracts Cassidy Nice's back up pump handle into sort of like a sit out tombstone almost for a, a two count which was great uh, he puts him in the corner goes to that charging knee of his but Cassidy gets out of the way and Nice starts selling his knee that takes the referee uh, Aubrey Edwards to, to away to check on him Sterling seizes opportunity slides in he's going to nail Cassidy with that clipboard but Danhausen comes in. Uh, grabs the, the clipboard and the petition off him. Sterling starts jaw jacking with him and gets a punch in the bollocks for his troubles. Nice gets cursed by Danhausen. And then in comes Cassidy with the orange punch. One, two, three. Orange Cassidy stands tall with his lawyer, uh, Danhausen, at the end. And they pose and he's got the sunglasses on. But I really enjoyed this main event. Yeah, I thought it was cracking. Um, more fun than like the opener, but I thought they were a really nice compliment. To yeah. Me. I think they both contributed in very different ways. It's just a really enjoyable um, hour of television. What, not without its logic flaws, um, but still, like, really, really great. Um, an 8 out of 10 instead of a 7 out of 10. Round. Yeah. Bookended by two very different and great matches. And there's a the thing in wrestling that literally every single wrestler does in virtually every single TV match, almost worldwide. And it's one of those, um, once you see it, you can't unsee it moments where the first attempt at a certain move doesn't work and when the baby face does it a second time it does work um, and you get that with the, the the northern lights suplex reversal of like i think it was a slumdog millionaire or the mm -hmm. yeah one of casting signature moves they tweaked it twice they tweaked it twice so that really sort of accelerated my heart rate got me into the story made me want to see the baby face pull it off again because that's the whole point mm -hmm. baby face's first attempt at one of their signature moves gets counted by the heel and that exists to make you want it to happen when it eventually gets attempted and the fact that they tweaked it twice was just a very um gonna try and um coin something here willborn a very cassidy and bit of <laughs> storytelling because he's legitimately one of the cleverest storytellers in all of pro wrestling and i think a lot of people are really starting to get that now which is fantastic he's not just oh you know he's better than you think i think the narrative now is no no he's way better than even we thought possible so that's really good and there was evidence of that here um but what i love about this is that there's every single again every single north american tv match um that gets a reasonable amount of time that isn't squash or whatever follows like a very similar back and forth structure um, and sometimes can get a little bit um, sort of homogenized for me. I can get low on pro wrestling on the whole, and it's because it's way more homogenized than you'd like to think. Um, this match structure, you will see it multiple times per week across multiple promotions, and it can just get a bit much. But when you have a guy like Cassidy in there, and Tony Nisi, who's incredibly underrated as well, mm. elevated, like 
the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right, right. I get it. He's a both good at wrestling. He's not doing a 14 minute match. I'm very cynical. I just am. <laughs> Their chemistry here was absolutely great because it got me out of that funk and really into the sort of match that you see all the time. On one hand, Orange Cassidy is so crafty and so witty with his pro wrestling as a strategist that his ability to get back onto an offensive phase is invariably always really good. Mm. Tony Nice, in contrast, is so rapid and he can accelerate so quickly that when he gets on offense, it kind of catches you unaware. He can sort of get into it in a blink of an eye. So I thought their chemistry and their particular um, attributes from a character and sort of athletic point of view like really converged to create this just genuinely great Rampage main event. Um, Tony Nese has got this thing where he does like kind of a floating arc on that um, springboard moonsault, but he kind of floats and does it incredibly quickly at the same time. Yeah, such a great athletic specimen. Um, and this match was ace. This is really fun. I can understand completely why this rampage, unfortunately, did an absolutely terrible rating, but I enjoyed it and I would give it. There's only ever two rampages an eight or a seven. Yes, dynamite can go from a 10 all the way down to a six. This was an eight out of a 10 yeah. rampage for me. Yeah, really enjoyable, exactly. And uh, yeah, we've got a hell of a few weeks ahead of us on uh, on Dynamite without question in terms of what they've set up now. But let us know your thoughts uh, on AEW Rampage on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW. Michael Sidgwick's brilliant book all about AEW uh, is still available right now on Amazon. Go and get your hands on it. Perfect holiday read by the pool or wherever you may be. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. The Daily Wrestling Podcast, the SmackDown Review, is available right now. And we'll be coming back your way a little bit later on today to preview Monday Now Raw. But for now, this has been the AEW This Is Paid Baby Review. Thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.